What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's interview is with Allison Medina, the founder of Tech Ladies, longtime friend of mine. She's been building Tech Ladies for over six years now, started just kind of organizing events for women who work in tech, and eventually decided to make that her full-time job and turn Tech Ladies into a real business that now has over 100,000 members and has helped hundreds of women land jobs in tech. We talk all about her story of building the community, how she's gone about monetizing the community, her transition from just doing it on the side to doing it full-time, all the unique things that she brings into the Tech Ladies community to make members feel welcome and let them know that this is a space built for them. She's an amazing community builder. You're going to learn a ton from this conversation. Let's dive in. Very simply, Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Would love to kick off with just kind of having you share your story and and how you came to build Tech Ladies and, and become the community builder you are today. I started Tech Ladies, well, I've been full-time on it for about four years now, but we started as a meetup even before that, um, just a meetup for women in tech in New York that grew and grew and grew into an online community. We now have 100,000 members worldwide. Um, We have so much that we do. We do weekly webinars for our community, so our members can learn something new every week. We do virtual events for our founding members community, which is like the paid smaller version of our community. And we have a job board that's really active. So we've helped a lot of women in tech find jobs and helped a lot of companies hire more women in tech. So that's sort of like our big mission. And um, I got into this, I had worked in tech for a bunch of years, both on the product and marketing side of things. Um, I worked at Google startup that was acquired by Google and a few other smaller startups as well. So um, yeah, that was sort of my pathway into tech. And it was just something I realized that was really needed a community for this at the time. And um, that's how I knew it would work because it just kept growing and growing sort of on its own. So it's been a big passion project for many, many years now. Yeah, I remember when we first spoke about it, it probably four to five years ago, and you had been working on organizing events and, and like kind of kind of like a, a side project a little bit. And you were thinking about going full time and we're, we're talking about, you know, what, what that would look like. How did it get started? It, it was just kind of on the side, kind of running events and things like that at first, right? Yeah. Well, for me, I started realizing that, you know, anytime I would get into a job, I would just get like I was making my network within that job only and then kind of forgetting about all my contacts at other jobs. And so, um, my, you know, when you do that, your network becomes pretty thin because then if something doesn't work out at that one job and you have to go out and, and look around, you know, you're like, oh, wait, my only friends are the people at my current job. This is not like a smart idea. So, um, you know, after having been through a lot in tech, like both sexism, like not being paid fairly, like dealing with all this stuff that you deal with as a woman in tech, um, I was like, wait, this could be a great idea because we could just get together with other women who work at other amazing companies, um, talk and commiserate in person at these in-person events we were doing, which were very small at first. And then through that, I sort of realized, wow, everybody's having the same experiences. And, you know, when you're going through this type of 
stuff at work or you work in a male dominated environment, you think it's really just you, or this is just the working world or something. Um, and then after meeting so many other people who are going through similar things, you realize like, no, this is actually a big problem that, um, or there are big problems at work that exist for a lot of women and a lot of women are going through the same things and we can help each other. But it was also just networking, you know, like being in a room with people who worked at like every top company and, them becoming your friends, mentors and help and people that you could help and could help you was really valuable on its own as well. I think that's like almost always a story you hear for really thriving communities, right? It's like it starts off with somebody who just felt really alone in in dealing with an issue and then just started finding other people who were sharing that challenge and started organizing them and realizing that they're not alone. And then you watch people enter the space or enter the community still feeling alone and then realize they're surrounded by people who share that challenge and share that identity. And and that's where the magic happens. Yeah. And I think that that's really like one of the most magical parts of communities is that you feel alone. You know, you're not necessarily living in a zip code with people who think the same things as you or go through the same things. You might even not have friends who are going through the same things. And we're all throughout different parts of our lives. These things keep changing. And so there's different communities that we'll need at different times. And they're not always going to be in our physical neighborhoods, right? So that's what gets me really excited about like the future of online communities um, and offline communities, future of community in general for people. But it's been so great with, obviously being able to build online communities because it, you know, if they, if you don't have that, you know, in your actual neighborhood, then you can still find people who are going through the same thing. Um, and I just like love the generosity that exists in our community and in other communities too. Like that was the most surprising thing for me is how much people are willing to help each other out and get nothing from it really Hmm. other than feeling good for helping someone. Is that something that's happened very organically or is you know, is that a result of the the intentional kind of culture that you've built? I think it's probably a mix of both. You know, I do see really unbelievably helpful people in various online communities and it always really restores my faith in humanity. You know, I think when people see someone going through something that they've gone through and they want to just help them, there's something really human and in human nature about that. That's really great. Um, but I also think you do have to build it into your community. So teaching people how to use it, teaching people, you know, this is what this is for and we're here to help each other and people learn by example too, seeing other people and how they, and also how you as community manager are running it. Yeah. What, what do you think it is, you know, for, for people who are trying to build community, like their goal is to build a community and, and they struggle to sort of get people to be engaged and, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about the, there's always people in, in healthy communities that just kind of like want to help and want, want to give to each other and want to support each other. But then there's like a lot of people who try to build communities and, and they can't quite get to that point where that kind of dynamic exists within the group. Like the members don't necessarily feel a sense of commitment to each other. What do you think it is that like makes that work in a community? I think some of it is really knowing in a very strong way what the identity of people in your community is. So for us, that's women who work in technology, but it could be anything from like marketing, engineering, design, but we all kind of know what, um, when you join, you can tell, like we've sort of defined it through our brand. Like what is a tech lady? Like, do you feel welcome here? Um, 
what does it mean? What do we struggle with? And from the, there also will take a lot of guidance from you, you know, like the wording of our newsletters or how we write things or how we share resources and things like that. Um, you know, I'll kind of show people like this is a really helpful place. So I think like when it's not happening on its own, a lot of that is just somebody put up a space for people to talk to each other, but then didn't do much else. Right. So mm. it really is like, I mean, sometimes communities take off just on their own, but you have to build something that's like an identity that connects people. Um, and it has to be real. And I think that's one of the places people will fall flat is when they just want to do it because they think it would be cool, but it's not necessarily really needed or it's not necessarily really new or people don't need this in their lives or something like that. It's very similar to like a product in a way when you think about it. Yeah. I always talk about like community market fit. Yeah. Same kind of idea. Exactly. I'm trying to like remember back then too, if I remember correctly, there weren't a lot of uh, communities for women in tech at that point. I feel like now there's so many. Yeah. But back when you started Tech Ladies, I remember it being like, oh, that's that's pretty unique. Yeah. I mean, there was always a lot of like women in engineering communities that were focused on helping each other technically. And, you know, there's, I guess there's always been like a few, but we were the first ones to come out and be like, we're for any woman who's working in tech, any non-binary person who's working in tech, mm. anybody who works from like anything from, you know, marketing, product design, like it doesn't have to just be engineers and developers. Um, so we kind of broadened the scope of like who could join. And also we were, you know, if you're interested in breaking into tech in the next couple of years and you're kind of doing some, some projects and stuff on the side, like you're welcome in the community too. So, mm. um, just being very open as to like who could join, you know, because it was only a few years before that I was like working in marketing. I worked for the New York state government and had all these other different types of jobs that were not in tech. And so I was very quickly like built my network, broke into tech and within, you know, like two years, two years before then I wouldn't have felt like I was welcome in that community. So we wanted to make it really easy for people to come in. And it's been so cool to see now that we have a couple of years behind us, we've seen people's careers like really take off in the past couple of years. Yeah. I, I love that point because like I, I often talk about, and we've had a guest on this podcast talk about how getting more specific with the identity is often where a lot of opportunity lies to build community. It's like um, everyone loves sports, but you know, you can get more specific and say, well, this specific sport team or, or, or this specific location and you get more and more specific, the more powerful the identity gets. But this is actually a really good example where it sounds like there were a lot of more specific identities that were actually like excluding people that still needed community and didn't have a space to find that just, you know, women who worked generally in tech, not necessarily engineers. Yeah. And, you know, there were so when I first tried to figure out like how big could this get um, the, by the way that we define a woman in tech. And it was like, there's at least, you know, a million women in just the United States that would fit into that category. So it's kind of large, you know, for community, right? So, yeah. um, but we spent four years building up to a hundred thousand members, a hundred thousand feels like a lot, you know? So that is I was lot. always thinking, well, if we get to, if it gets too big, then you can break it down. Right. Um, so why not try to build something that could be really big and really impactful? And then also when we started monetizing and figuring out, like, how do we build this into a, a business on top of a community? 
you know, the job board like requires us having a large community, right? Like we need a lot of people to see the jobs so that the right people can find them. And, you know, if 10 people are looking at it, it's not going to be a successful job board. So we did need a certain like amount of people to make the business side of what we were doing work. But, um, breaking down the community into smaller ones is like part of what we figured out we needed to do, which is why we built our paid version of our community, our founding membership community. And that has been really great because that's kind of like the, it's small enough that it's like the, the beginning day. It always feels like the beginning days of tech ladies when like I knew people's names and I could like remember that somebody wanted something and then go, you know, intro to them to that person who has that skill or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, we get to run now both this like gigantic community and harness the power of that, um, especially for clients on that side and then also who are hiring and then also still kind of keep this small, more close, tight knit community that, um, we really get to know those members really well. Right. I, I want to kind of roll back and, and touch on that transition. So, so you were running events and it, it, it wasn't your full-time gig at that point. Um, and I remember when, when you were looking at like, should I do this full-time? Should I, you know, be the, the founder uh, and CEO of tech ladies full-time? Um, what would that look like? What was that transition like for you? How how did you kind of navigate going from, you know, something that maybe had some passive income into like, no, this needs to be my full salary, full-time job. I want to build a team and make this my my full-time focus. Yeah, it was. So in the really early days, it was like just events. And then we layered on a Facebook group and this is like four and a half years ago, maybe five years ago, even. Um, and then I started sending newsletters out. Then I started charging companies to post jobs in the newsletter. And then people started finding jobs through it. And I was like, this is so cool. This is like, really, we're really connecting people now. Um, and that kind of kept growing. And so I was doing all of that, like on the side through two different jobs that I had. And then, um, I was working at Google in 2016 when I left full time to do this. And I sort of felt like, well, two things. Like I had always dreamed of working at a company like Google, you know, I always thought like, well, that's mm-hmm. kind of making it, you know, before, even though I felt like I <laughs> so had, we all thought that for so long. <laughs> and then we get to this point where we're like, Oh, is that the dream? <laughs> yeah. And then you realize like, no, Oh my gosh. Like I'm an entrepreneur. It's always been here. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did I ever think that, you know, like being part of this big giant company was what I would want. But you know, you have to, you have to work in an environment like that to see if it's something you want. It's a great fit for a lot of people. It's an amazing company for a lot of people. <laughs> I, I never have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I just have a feeling I'm not going to, I'm not going to jive well. Yeah. If you already know it, then you know, you know, so I was just sort of like, that'll be so safe. That'll be so well paying. That'll be such like a pinnacle of success in this way. You know, like, I don't know that uh, w- all the typical ways we think that will define that type of success for us. And after being there for only like a year, I was like, okay, this isn't for me. Like I have so much energy to do so much. You know, I would come home. It was such a, it was such a great opportunity because I would come home though. And I didn't have any kids or any, I wasn't taking care of anybody. So it was like this great time of my life where I was just able to come home at 6 PM and work until midnight on tech ladies and it started growing and picking up and I was like making 
money on it. And that's when I was like, okay, this could maybe like, how much would I need to just support myself? Like, even if I took a really low salary, you know, um, what do I need just to get by type of thing? And so, um, that was part of it, but then it also was just like waiting for, you know, we were getting like really good press and it was really growing and, um, it started to feel like, okay, this is like a great moment for this. Um, and this, that was like a great moment for women and people were like listening and paying attention and, and like giving opportunities and people wanted to make a change in the industry. Um, so I was like, this is the time, you know, like, I know that this is the time to go do this. Mm-hmm. So it felt right. And I did it. And I also had enough coming in. If I could, you know, I was like, if I'm keeping busy from 6 PM to midnight, five days a week, and then working on it on weekends, all weekend, you know, like there's enough work to do for this to be my full-time job. Totally. And so the, the income was coming through jobs. At that point. Yeah. It was just jobs. I mean, we would, we kind of always charged for everything like webinars, events, anything we did, we would charge for because yeah. we learned very Sounds early. Familiar. Yeah. If you're <laughs> Just, not going to You'll pay me for something. Sure. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not going to charge, people aren't going to show up. That's true. So there was like no accountability, you know, and we were like, and then we would get, you know, sometimes we'd have events that were free. It would have space for 200 people, you know, it would sell out and, you know, a hundred people would come and then we'd get right. emails from another 150 people who wished that they could have been there. And so we were like, okay, we're charging. There's enough demand and it'll make people commit to the things that they're doing with us. Especially in New York city where everyone overcommits and never shows up. Right. So we were charging for webinars. Um, and then we realized pretty soon as like our numbers were growing that we wanted to build a paid version of our membership too, to make it smaller. And what was, what's unique about the paid membership? Like, I know this has been a challenge for us as we did so many things for free for so long with CMX and we have our Facebook group, our Slack, our newsletter, our events, like all these different things. And then we launch a paid membership and it was really hard to kind of distinguish the value and like why, why pay for this space when there's so much that you can get for free. Yeah. Yeah. That can definitely happen. I mean, for us, like founding membership is very different And it's for a specific type of member who is like ready right now to do stuff in their career. So it doesn't work well for people who are like, yeah, I kind of just want to pay money and then have good things happen in my career. It's kind of like a gym membership. Like you have to actually use it. So we have built all this stuff for them. Um, But those are the people who it works best for. And so basically what we have a whole portal on our website that's just for founding members and when they log in they get every back webinar we ever did we call it on-demand webinars so we have like over 200 webinars that we've recorded on so many different types of topics which you can just like filter through like negotiation topics or interviewing skills um networking like so many different things then they also get, we do a webinar every week and they get access to those for free. They're normally $15 for everybody else. So coming to those is free. And we host virtual events that are just for founding members. We've been doing a lot now, especially like we do like virtual co-working days now that everybody's working from home. Um, those are really fun. We do like Q and A's with interesting people in tech um, that are just for founding members. And then we also have a completely separate community for founding members. And then we also curate like conference discounts and perks and things. We get a lot of like inbound people wanting us to offer things to our members. 
And we just keep those for founding members as something special. So they have a whole portal where they can log in and get deals and discounts and access to like secured tickets for conferences that are really hard to get into and things like that. Do, do you ever feel kind of conflicted on wanting to make content like all your webinar recordings, for example, like wanting to make that more publicly accessible and, and help more people uh, versus like keeping it behind a paywall? I know, I know that's like a struggle that I often have. Yeah. I just want to help everybody. Yeah. We kind of have like a hybrid of it. Right. So like if you are just on the free membership tier of tech ladies, like you can get our Facebook group for free, which is still really amazing. Um, and you can get, you can sign up for any webinar you want and just pay for them as you go. They're only $15. So if there's a topic you're really interested in, that barrier is pretty low. And then we have tons of people that come that aren't founding members, just people who pay because they think the webinar topic is interesting that week. Um, so yeah, as far as that goes. And then, you know, we do feel that there's like a lot that's baked in for free. The job board is free for members to browse and apply. Of course, like there's nothing, we would never want to hold that back from anybody when you're job hunting, you're not usually in the position to pay for a membership to something. Um, so yeah, we have a mix of free and paid things. It's sort of like if you come in and you've gotten some value out of tech ladies on the free side of things or low cost side of things, um, you know, if you become like a fan and then you want to become a founding member, get really more involved, or you're just like, I've been following this for a while, but now I really want, this is the year where I'm really going to do stuff for my career. Like I'm going to do professional development. I want to network with other founding members things like that. Cause we're really, really hands-on in that community. Right. What, what's worked for you for converting free members into paying members? So basically, um, I think we could get better at it, to be honest. You know, we've always been very much like, well, we don't want to, you know, bang people over the head with it too much, right. especially since it's not going to be for everybody. And there's tons of reasons to stay as a free member. Um, but then we'll hear from people like, Oh, I didn't even know you had this, you know? And so right. we're like, okay, we need to get a little bit more aggressive with that, but not too aggressive that it can get annoying because I think people do overdo it sometimes when they're like, you can get overly salesy and we don't want to be that way to our members. But I think we could explain it a little bit more. So what's worked for us is mostly like emailing. We only open the group four times a year so that we can keep the number like nice and steady and manageable. You know, we don't want it to be a hundred thousand paying members. Um, it would just be so big. Um, you know, we already have, we have about 1200 members and it's a great group size and we're already like kind of spinning out some subgroups within that. And we have three paid community managers who run it plus an events person. So there really is a lot of like hands-on work in that community. Yeah. It's always a challenge. We have the same thing with ours. You don't want to like over promote to your members and, and for a lot of them, the free, the free tier is just going to be, you know, that's, that's what they need. Yeah. I'm curious, like, so you went from events and, and you, you, you mentioned like getting a lot of press. What, what were the biggest growth engines that took you from, you know, the, the early days of the community to now a hundred thousand members? Yeah. I mean, I remember like really early on, like being on product hunt was really helpful. Such a great site to like launch on and get the word out about everything. And in the very, very early days we had it so that, I mean, I, we still hand approve every member. Like we read application and hand approve them. Even for free members? Even for free members. Yeah. Every single one? Yeah. Like you have to apply to become oh even goodness. a free member of Tech Ladies. Yeah. How many applications do you have to process like every month? 
Um, we do them almost every day and it's like two or 300 every two days or so. So wow. if I do them every day, it's like, you know, 150 or 200 a day. Um, depending on if like, I don't know, you know, if the word got out about oh us somewhere, somebody wrote about it. It's great. Yeah. It grows. It grows a lot. Like, so is that your team reviewing everything or do you like empower members of the community to review? It? No, we do it. Yeah. And for a, like oh a goodness. long time, like I was just doing it <laughs> like still like four years in, just reading every application. I mean, I read them quite, wow. quite fast. Um, like yeah. speed reading and no, fast reading. Now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, we just want to make sure that everybody gets in there. Um, is like somewhat fits what our definition of our community should be. And that that's also a nice, um, it's good on, on the community side. You could always just let people in and then take bad people out. But since we have our job board, we want our clients on the job board to also know that this has been like, to some degree, these people have been screened before they even get in. Cause you can't even see the job board unless you're a member, a free member right. um, or paid member, but you have to have gone to our site and filled out that application to see the job board. And as someone who's posted jobs with tech ladies, the, the quality is always very high. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, that's like, that's what's worth doing this type of labor intensive yeah. <laughs> reading each application, you know, like most people don't Thank you do for that. doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. Okay. So I interrupted you. So product hunt was a really big growth, growth engine still is today. I love, I love product hunt. One of my favorite communities. Yeah. Product hunt is great. What else has been like a great driver for, for helping? I mean, it sounds like you kind of tapped into, you know, the zeitgeist a little bit of like you launched in a time, you know, to your point, what you mentioned is there was a lot of attention being turned towards women in tech and much more awareness of the challenges. So it seems like you kind of like rode that wave a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like we came out at a really good time. Um, even like the Me Too movement was not long after, you know, we, we were getting a lot of press for like doing what we were doing. And, um, you know, after Trump was elected and women's were like speaking up a lot about, you know, just like how that felt to have somebody like that in office as, you know, a woman mm -hmm. in this country. Um, and it was just sort of a, it was sort of like a time where people were just paying attention and seemed to care. Um, and also a little fed up and including like a lot of like men who were like, yeah, this has been going on for way too long. Like for women in our industry, like we want to make a difference too. like, um, we get so many people that are so well-meaning coming to us, like wanting to help or post jobs or just like be involved or make a difference in the industry too. So, and we got a lot of press at that time because it was unique in that way that, you know, like we were building at this time when this this movement was sort of happening in the country for women. Um, and people were interested in this idea of women at work, like, and where, where is it still kind of like might as well be the 1950s. And it was so weird that tech is like that. Um, mm. not, maybe not exactly the 1950s, but you know, like it's weird that tech is like so forward thinking in so many ways yet has been huh. so sexist and such a hard environment for women to thrive in. Yeah, well, thankfully, because of communities like Tech Ladies, I, I think it's getting better. Do you feel like it's getting better? Have you seen kind of the impact and the change since you started Tech Ladies? Yeah, you know, like I'll never forget, like one of my guy friends said when we started, he was like, well, aren't you worried? Thinking from more like a product entrepreneurial startup type guy mindset was like, 
well, aren't you worried that like, you know, this will just get better in like the next year and you're, <laughs> what you're doing will be like kind of irrelevant. And I was like, Oh, what a great problem. No, I was like, we've been <laughs> chipping also, away, no. like, you know, <laughs> no way. Like we've been chipping away at like women's rights and it's these, you know, these types of things are such like slow incremental changes that I wasn't worried about that at all. Could probably run for another thirty years, and women at work will still be struggling. Um, yeah, come on, Allison. It's been like six years. You haven't solved gender <laughs> haven't equity solved in tech it. yet. No, but that is also a frustrating part of it for me too, because I did, I do have like a vision of like, well, what kind of dent can we make? Obviously, we can't solve. You can't solve for people's right. like bias or discrimination in hiring, but like, kind of seeing how much we've been able to do. We've helped hundreds of women get jobs in tech and like change the ratio a little bit there, but it's like, there's still so much more to do. And you almost start just peeling back the layers and realizing like, Mm -hmm. Oh, there's so many things that could be built in this space. And we're doing like one little sliver of it, you know? So that's been interesting is like, I've thought of 20 other companies, you know, around hiring and bias and training and stuff that could come from this, but we're focused. So we're just like staying focused on what we do. That's great. I mean, I think like, a lot a lot of people are kind of becoming more aware of this now in the Black Lives Matter movement and, and learning more about systemic racism and just realizing how complex the issues are. It can feel very overwhelming and like, you know, especially for startup people who are like, I need to start this thing that's going to solve this big problem. It's It must be really hard to work on a problem that you realize you're never really going to be able to solve it, um, but but you can chip away at it. Right, right. And it definitely does feel like that movement for like black creators and entrepreneurs right now. I'm so excited watching that because it's, um, it's like, yeah, we're not solving every problem, but we're finally like, let's cover these people in magazines more. Let's like put, you know, people's stories more forward and like, let's re like, we're not screwing around anymore. Like no panels full of just white people. Like, you know, I feel like this stuff has been like, incremental but now people are actually like it's coming it's coming to a head this kind of in a similar way that reminds me of what it was like just four years ago for women same yeah it's interesting yeah still still a long journey ahead yeah Um, then you sit you zoom out on this you're like it feels better and then you look at the stats and you're like what's the percentage of black founders that get funding what's the percentage of women founders that get funding it's still like abysmal so um yeah, that's when you yeah. realize, like, even if you're really involved in this, there's still so much work to do on both sides. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that what what's happening now will be kind of like a big lurch forward. Um, and at least it's like getting a lot more people to be aware and a lot more smart people involved in trying to solve the problem. Um, but like, realistically, the the energy and the attention around it will will fade as well. I, I hope not. I hope it continues, but the way things tend to go is like it fades and we'll see like what the lasting impact and changes when, when it's not like, you know, performative anymore right. to, to like be doing these things. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, what, what are the things that you've been able to create, whether it's, you know, in how you organize your events or how you design your community uh, your like Facebook group and your onboarding, what are the things that you've been able to do to kind of articulate the identity 
that you're trying to create within Tech Ladies and, and you know, kind of create that distinct community experience for your members? Yeah, I think something we did like really early on that has been really helpful is just sort of tell people how to use the community. So we would come up with topics like our anonymous topic has always been great. Um, and then people get to know it like, oh, if I'm having a really hard time at work, I can send it in anonymously to tech ladies and get a bunch of feedback without revealing who I am. Things like that that are unique or just things we've come up with like Yep, I did that is one of our topics. And the point to it is to just like brag about something you did because we realized mm-hmm. that a lot of women in tech would not really be good at sort of bragging about things that they had built or wins they had at work. And realizing that that being able to do that is so important to building, you know, your career. <laughs> and you it kind of takes practice. And so you know, and asks, asks and offers which a ton of communities have, you know, but just reminding people like, don't just come here to take and ask, but also try to always give something or come up with something that you could give to help other people, which sort of reinforces and teaches people that that's the best way to use the community. So coming up with topics really early, but then also just like having a voice, you know, like we always have like a, like a feminist type gif and at the bottom of all of our emails and at one point, like I stopped doing it and we got emails from people like begging us to bring it back. (laughs) So it kind of just teaches people like we're not this like stuffy, like women in tech organization, which like a lot of them feel like, you know, that where you have to be technical and perfect and whatever. It's just sort of like, we're we're just like people that you might meet at work that you would have fun with, that you would go to lunch with. Um, Right. More of a casual, personal vibe. Yeah. Definitely. So like that being part of our brand, I think has been helpful being like super friendly and supportive and non-judgmental has always been like really important. Mm. Yeah. And I love the way you do that in your Facebook group. I, I, I snuck through the application process. I think we you, let you, you in. Yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> I think we wanted you there for feedback and stuff. So <laughs> glad, I'm glad I I'm think that. so. I'm I'm honored. I'm very honored. But uh, I'm always very impressed with with the tone and voice and how helpful everyone is. And and yeah, in your Facebook group, you, you know, you you have these these kinds of like people use a hashtag, right, to say like, "Yep, I did this." Um, and and the different themes that you have, and so it kind of creates a lot of like really thoughtful organization of content in in a Facebook group where generally it's a single feed, so it's usually just a mess of of anything and everything that people want to talk about. Yeah, that and I think also something that's been really helpful is like as things happen in the world, like we come out and talk about them proactively, like from us, from Tech Ladies team. And people can tell when that stuff is just lip service, right? So like coming out, you know, in an online community around Black Lives Matter, like early and often, it tells everybody like, we're not going to have like, it if you're not supportive of black lives matter like this isn't the space for you and you should leave like being able and willing to like define what the values of your community are is really important mm. and we had to do that like several times over the past four years the things have been happening around like immigration and things like that just to come out and really protect the most vulnerable whoever's the most vulnerable members of your community or like how communities mm. can really turn um because a lot of people don't realize like what type of power they're walking around with or how they might use that in a hurtful way um, in an online community. So 
Um, we have a really strict code of conduct. Like all, all of this is part of like um, teaching people how to use it. Yeah. What do you do when you onboard new members to kind of get them acquainted with that culture and, you know, that, that system that you have for how to post in the community? Um, well, we do like link to our code of conduct and posting guidelines. Um, people get a series of welcome emails that shares that as well. Um, so kind of like if they're going to click on it and learn and be like, what's this community about? They'll see it. And then if not, they're just kind of absorbing based on what they see happen in, in the comments and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I remember you, you were kind of navigating the challenge at one point of, you know, how do you define gender or tech ladies? Is it just for, you know, cisgender? Um, can you speak a little bit about how you navigated that to make sure that your community could be inclusive for the right people, but um, still, you know, distinct and, and focus on the right topics? Yeah. So like even the name tech ladies was sort of like, just kind of started with it. And it was so great because like, it was sort of a, a bad signal. If you're like a tech lady at work, you kind of like know what that already is. Um, right. And so that part of it has been great. You know, people can kind of just tell at a glance that it's for women in tech, but then when it comes to like, okay, well, like, how do you say that this is for everybody in tech except not cisgendered men you know and so right. like and then how do you come up with like a name That's that a says name. that <laughs> um because and so for us it's for like underrepresented genders like that's sort of what we've come up with and for a while yeah. we were like always oh, putting non-binary in there and then you know there are some people who feel like non-binary like shouldn't necessarily even be separated you know so there's like all these different schools of thought around all of this and so for us it's like okay at the end of the day like are we just like what we will put like on a pedestal any of our trans members or non-binary members who give us any feedback like okay what are they saying you know like Mm -hmm. how did what was their experience in our community like and we've had people who like come in early in their transition like really nervous to join a women's community and like Will I be accepted? And like working with them directly on that and being like, you're our, like literally like our top priority in this community because we want you to Mm. feel so safe here. So like, here's a direct line to us. Like, let us know if you need anything, you know, for people who've like identified themselves and reached out and been like, I'm worried about this. Am I welcome here? And we're like, yes, you know? So just really, um, figuring that out, but also like knowing that like, it's, you know, and we can't discriminate. So like if a cisgendered man wants to join and like, look at the job board, like he can. So, but it's not the core of our community. It's like our community. It's like, so overwhelmingly women, non-binary and trans people, but like, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's a, there's always going to be a little bit of a mix in there. So, but it's also part, it's part of who we are. It's like, I was going to ask, is that like, uh, like legally you're required to, not discriminate based on any gender or is that just a choice that you've made? Yeah. Like there have always been clubs, obviously like based on gender throughout history and in varying States, there's like varying laws about that. You know, like the wing was like sued for that. Right. We like have friends groups who've been sued by like men's rights groups who tried to come to their events and got turned away. And those same men's rights groups actually came to our in-person event Uh in California and our team like welcomed them 
they were like, um, are we allowed in? And we were like, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Like, and, like, we all, Damn it. and they were so mad because they were trying to set up a lawsuit because they ended up suing a lot of our friends. Um, right. But so, yeah, we've always been welcoming. The other thing is it's also just be like coming from tech, like we would have events at tech offices with guys, you know, like there would always be guys there. So it was never like right. this precious space with, without cisgendered men. So it was like, you Definitely. know, yeah, there's always going to be like, you know, 10 or 20% guys at our events and mixed in the community yeah. somewhere and stuff like that. So it's fine, you know? And, um, sometimes people would even bring like their boyfriend as a support person, their cisgender right. boyfriend to like an event. So we were like, this would be, it would be weird to exclude people. Yeah. No, I remember I, I got to attend a couple of your very early events and, you know, it was, it was cool that it's, it's clearly a community very focused on supporting and, and organizing women in tech. But like, I felt, I felt very welcome there as someone who, you know, wanted to advocate for that and be an ally as well. Of course, there's always going to be like elements of, you know, do, will, will people feel comfortable having the same kinds of conversations, um, you know, when, when they're not, when, when it's not just women there, for example. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that does change the dynamic a little, but I always thought that that was useful as well. Like, you know, if there's 10% of your event is met cisgendered men, you know, like that's kind of good for those men. Cause there's at work every day. That's what women are walking into in tech. You yeah, know, like they're they the only woman it. in the room, right? They're the only woman yeah. in that meeting. And men in tech don't get to experience that as much unless they work at like a, mm female founded startup that's very specifically women dominated there aren't that many like it's highly unlikely right. you know the opposite is to happen so it's a good experience for men to be in groups like that sometimes yeah absolutely all right so you've been running tech ladies full-time now for a while and you've built you know a team around you well what's kind of like the the current say what's your experience been of being uh, a community entrepreneur you know i, I think like in the larger context of this is a lot of people are very hot on community right now. And a lot of people are starting new communities and, and there's kind of this like community, this wave of community entrepreneurship of people like starting community as a business. So I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Like what's your experience been as a founder of a community? Yeah. I think it also is interesting to see this coming up as a topic more and more when David, you and I have been like talking about this for so many years. So it feels it's validating and very cool to see this come up um, as sort of like something that's considered, you know, like really great right now. Um, yeah. And I would just like, I guess what I think about it is mostly just my concern is that people are not going to like start a community for the right reasons. <laughs> and what I mean by that is like, mm -hmm. It, like people can the same way like people can sniff out like a fake brand or like fake like trying to be cool when you're not or whatever like yeah. people can really sniff out like a fake community or when somebody is I like was very good at that in middle school yeah <laughs> trying to build like a community which they're so obviously trying to monetize or that's like mm. like they can't even wait or something and it's like no it really has to be something that exists to help people in its truest form it doesn't mean you can't right. like layer on business to it later, but it really has to be done in the right way. Um, and you can't think of your community members as clients or customers. Like if you're even in that headspace at all, like it's not going to work. Um, yeah, it really has to come from community first and be tied to something real and really focused on helping people. I, I think like part of the challenge 
having known many people now who have either started communities or or taken on a like a community lead role for a company um is that they come at it with that very for good you know i want to help people i want to just build community for the sake of community um kind of mentality but then they run into challenges with you know monetization how do i sustain myself how do i build a team how do i have the impact i want to have or if you work at a company how do you get budget and buy-in and career opportunities so yeah i don't know i think like on one hand it, it's absolutely critical that you're you're building community authentically and and trying to solve a real problem and genuinely help people but i i guess i've kind of been forming this belief that you you need to kind of have more of a balance of both and understanding how you're going to build a sustainable business from the beginning. Yeah. And the reason you don't see that many people who've done it or built that many communities into multi-million dollar businesses is because they are two really different skills. And it's kind of rare to have both, you know, unless you said like you work in an org and, or you've hired people with different types of skills, you know? So I think like you have to really have like an understanding of how to bring people together um, which is maybe more of like a soft skill. And then you have to have like, yeah, on the bu- building a business side, it's totally different, right? Like, are you an entrepreneur? Like, are you good with numbers or can you figure them out? Um, how do you project out? Like, what is your big vision for this and um, how to fund it, you know? And so like very early on, I knew that for us, like we venture capital wasn't going to be the way that we were going to start this. Um, and that it actually wasn't even really needed, mm-hmm. but that we were just going to bootstrap it. And we had like good traction growing really fast, like able to turn a profit. And then also just, it's been typical bootstrap stuff, like doing things a lot slower and waiting years right. to get to where we need to be in certain places and growing the product really slowly and building a team yeah. really slowly. But that doesn't hurt a community necessarily because doing things slowly can actually be like an advantage in community building. Absolutely. It definitely is. I think like it allows you to be more intentional and, and spend more time with people and, and growth sometimes comes at the cost of that personal touch and engagement. Um, but I know from my experience, you know, I ran CMX for five years as a bootstrap company, um, but, but started to feel, kind of stifled by the lack of resources. And like, we had such a big vision for the impact that we wanted to have with CMX of, of kind of establishing the community industry and, and helping community professionals thrive in their work. And it felt like we weren't able to do all the things we wanted to do or, or move as fast as we want to. And so, you know, ultimately that led to us being acquired, um, which brought a lot more like resources and people to work on it. And it has unlocked a lot of growth. Have have you felt that kind? You've been at it now for six years. Have you felt that kind of uh, urge to be able to move faster at this point now that you've been doing it for a long time? I mean, I've definitely had like my moments over the years where I'm like, what yeah. are we doing? This could be so much bigger. I should just go raise a round. Or like, is there someone who could acquire us who like with what worked out for you guys, like so great. Um, that would just be so mission aligned, you know, that could really like take what we've done and take it to the next step. And like, I never write off any particular pathway. Like if one of those things happens or if we hit a wall where the way I think about funding and acquisition are a little bit different, but the way I would think about funding would be like taking on outside funding would be like, are we at a point where we're absolutely able to uh, like not 
do what we need to do? Like, are we leaving money on the table because we just don't have capital to do the next thing? Right. And every time I took a really hard look at the business side of things, that was like not the case with us. It was like, no, you know what? Like we could just do this a little longer until it grows, you know? Um, but that's, that's been like lucky for our business. We've like continued to keep growing and it is really hard to do with the community. We have like really supportive community members who pay for and get a ton out of founding membership. But that program was built over four years, like four years of like learning and trying and okay, we put a million things out. What do people actually use? Where's the biggest bang for their buck? Like customer journeys, what needs to happen for a founding member in the first three months for them to feel that their membership is valuable. Um, learning all of that has taken literally taken like years. <laughs> like now, yeah. now we've got, we've got a lot down though. That's what I feel good about at this point. It's like, we could just keep building and growing this on our own for a long time if we want to, because we've got a lot down over the past couple of years. Yeah, totally. I, I think you, you have been able to identify, you know, sustainable business models in a way that I, I think we were, we were struggling to, I think at our biggest, we were four people and, and it just always felt like we were trying to tread water, keep our heads above water just to survive. It never really felt sustainable, um, if I'm speaking honestly, yeah. about our experience. So uh, a lot of respect for what you've been able to build with Tech Ladies. Thanks. And I mean, a lot of it, to be honest, is just staying very lean. So it's been me as the only yeah, well, full-time yeah. person I was good years. at that too. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are good at that too. I know. It's just, it's certainly, everyone is like a little bit different, but like, it's kind of like people are constantly shocked at how lean we are. Like at this point, yeah. we don't even have an office. For a while, I had an office. It was just me in it. Everybody was part-time yeah. contractors. Um, and now I have one full-time person with me. It's me and one full-time person and some contractors. So like it's still extremely yeah. lean for how much lean. we do. So yeah. yeah, it's just been, and a lot of that has just been, what can we put on autopilot? What can, you know, yeah. what can we do uh, that's automated for like our clients and things like that. So, and a lot of it can't be automated and we do by hand, but figuring out, right. I think that's key. It's like figuring out the difference between like, what things can you put on autopilot that will not affect your customer experience, your community members experience and what things do you have to do by hand, no matter right. how big you get. And then how can you yeah. stay true to those? What what are some of the things you've been able to put on autopilot? Like just, you know, on the job board side of things, we have like a whole workflow. We do actually have a total of like four people who work with our clients on the job board. But, you know, we have like automated emails that go out when leads come in. For a while, we were just like responding to everybody personally, you know. Um, oh, man. We like that's like been totally automated. Um so things like that, like work, some workflow stuff we've been able to automate. Right. Um, but then we have like a person who is a career counselor with 15 years experience and knows diversity and inclusion like so well. And she's the one who will read the job postings that come in and write back to people and give them like feedback about what they could be doing better. And these are things like, like, you know, touch points or we'll make like personal intros with someone we know would be a good fit for that role and things like Mm -hmm. that, that most job boards do not do. Like we go so above and beyond for them. And a lot of that is like, you know, just stuff from the heart and stuff by hand and really caring about them. Like we kind of bring everybody, even if you're like just a paying client on the job board, you're like part of our community now is how we view you. So that's been really helpful. Love it. 
What what does the future look like for Tech Ladies now? Where are you headed? We're just going to keep growing it. You know, like it's so, when I think about, I told you earlier, you know, I had my early estimates four years ago were like, there's at least a million women that fit into this definition of how we define a tech lady. That's got to be even more by now. And we only have a hundred thousand. So like we've got tons of room to grow. We have so much to offer them. And as our founding membership grows, that will be a big challenge to figure out like how to keep that feeling special. Or is there like a number where we cap it? So figuring that stuff out the next couple of years will be interesting. But other than that, like our goals are kind of this, exactly the same as they were when we started four years ago, which is to keep making a dent in the industry. And I think we're definitely doing that. Mm. Do you have sort of like measured impact in any way that, that you can use to kind of track that progress? Yeah, I mean, things like how many women have been hired, how many members of our community have negotiated for more money at work, mm. just that actual like life-changing things. You know, how many people have started companies because they met somebody in Tech Ladies to start a company with? Um, and I love hearing those stories. And so, um, and we collect like all of our success stories for people who've actually found jobs or founding members who've gotten amazing opportunities by being a member of the community and things like that. So just like, it that stuff like never gets old like seeing yeah. people you know really get value out of it um even though i've been at this for so many years and you always have to ask yourself like how long will i stay interested in this topic when you start <laughs> i'm shocked that i'm still interested in community right? <laughs> i know i feel that way too i'm like i can't believe i'm still interested in this and you definitely have moments where you're like Oh my God, can oh, I absolutely. do this anymore? Like how much? Can I do anything else, please? Yeah. Like what would it be like to be a gardener or, or a plumber? Like just do something else other than Yeah, <laughs> you're going to have your <laughs> moments. And I have moments too where I'm just like, uh, I really miss products. Like I really miss like building out products with a product team because we don't build that much. I mean, we built our site and then we're done, you know? So I have yeah. times where I miss other aspects of, of working in tech or what I was doing before, but Oh totally. yeah. Overall, there's so much different stuff to do every day that I'm kind of, my job, my job changes every six months. So I think that's the real reason <laughs> I have not been bored. Samesies. I'm like constantly learning new things. And hundred percent, I think it's like hearing from members that you've actually had an impact for them is actually what keeps you going like that. That is, you know, for those of you who are listening, who are a member of a community, just like message the the community manager or the founder and just be like, I want you to know how much this community has helped me because you will give them fuel for the next like three months to keep working on what they're doing. Yeah, I love that. Like, and I try to do that too when I see somebody, especially now having been on the other side of it, when I see someone like running a community or or even just oh, you yeah. know, sending a great newsletter or something, I'll just hit that reply button and tell people, this is so great. Thank you for putting this out yeah. into the world. You never know what type of Shower day somebody's having. You know? <laughs> it can really help. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited to see where Tech Ladies continues to grow and evolve. Thank you so much. It's been awesome to see the journey from this start to this point. Yeah, no, and thank you always for giving me great advice. I really appreciate that. I don't know if it's great advice, <laughs> It's always been great advice, yes. I, I, hope, I hope I've been helpful. Um, all right, awesome. We're ready for our rapid-fire question round to wrap up the episode. First question, what's your favorite book, podcast, newsletter, something that you're consuming uh, recently or, or, or ever? Um, I'm reading this book called The Outermost House, which is was written by this guy who lived in this house alone on Cape Cod. 
like a hundred years ago mm. for like a full winter. And it's been kind of like my quarantine book that's helping me get through quarantine. Ah, I like that. I think everyone's kind of finding like a quarantine book to help them like escape or manage your mental health right now. Yeah. Mine's been dropping ashes on the Buddha. It's my like go to Zen book. Oh nice. It's like helping me keep my sanity through all this. Oh nice. Awesome. Great one. Okay. Number two, who's an up and coming community builder doing great work that you want to give a shout out to? Naj Austin, who is the founder of Ethel's Club. Ah, such a good one. She's amazing. Um, full disclosure, I'm an investor in Ethel's Club, but I'm really just mentioning that because I'm so proud of them and her and everything that they've built. Um, and this is one of those things where like, I just learned so much just from watching them and like, and watching her and how she is building a business for people of uh, color. And it was like, a you know, before COVID was this like great physical space, but they pivoted so quickly and so amazingly to this online community that they're just totally killing it. I think she's really one of like the best leaders I've seen in community in many, many years. I can't agree more. And a little shout out, she's going to be doing an interview for this podcast oh, as well. Nice. I don't know what order they'll come out in, but we're I'm talking to her in two days. So Amazing. She's great. I'm so pumped. Yeah, she's amazing. Awesome. Great example. Okay. Third, what's the weirdest or most unique community you've ever participated in? So I would say it's not that the community was super weird. It was just, um, I did Invisalign, um, for like a couple years oh. before my wedding. I had had braces growing up, but like my teeth had moved and I was like, I'm going to get Invisalign. Uh-huh. And I want to know like what other people are going through. And so I joined this Invisalign community on Facebook <laughs> and that was it. very interesting because it was a lot of people sharing like detailed pictures of their teeth <laughs> and how their teeth were moving and sharing Some like good the teeth porn. gross side effects, gross side effects <laughs> of like Invisalign and things like that. So, I mean, it was just like fascinating, but it was also like a really supportive community. So like, uh, you know, when people would be done, they would take a picture and show off their new smile. And um, so for me, that was one of the weirder communities I joined because it was like, <laughs> do I really need this? But um, I was just so fascinated with like learning about it and uh, also became almost kind of like addicted to seeing like teeth get into this like perfect position because people would do the before <laughs> and after photos and it was like oddly satisfying so that's i think my <laughs> weirdest community that i'm in <laughs> so guys what's your fetish oh i really like watching teeth get straightened yeah, over time it takes like years but <laughs> it's so worth it so yeah it's a long-term fetish <laughs> it's, yeah, it's one of my weirder ones but also because you know i love those facebook groups where you cross paths with people that you would never meet in your life and oh, yeah. obviously this is well, a lot of people find toxic and bad about Facebook, but it, for me, it can be really eye-opening. You know, I'm like, wow, I'm talking to this, like, I'm also in this group for citrus growers, people who grow citrus plants indoors. Ooh. And I'm like meeting I didn't know you could do that. grandmothers in the middle of the country, you know, like, why would I ever meet these people? So, um, Oh my goodness. That sounds it's awesome. Very cool. I want to join that community. That community is pretty you have cool. To send, me, send me the link after the <laughs> podcast. Okay. Number four, what's your go-to self-care practice? I think for me, it's probably taking baths, which I know is like a weird, old-fashioned thing to do. That's not weird at all. I love baths. Oh, okay, good. You know, some people are like, ew. Um, they don't like the concept well, of baths for some reason. depends how nasty but... your apartment uh, Yeah, you got to have a nice, from... de a nice or decent <laughs> bathtub. But I think, yeah, I think for me, that's one of the places where like that or taking a shower, like for most people, you get your best ideas in there. Yeah, uh, me too. Definitely. 
All right. Love it. Okay. Last question. It's the easiest one. Um, <laughs> if you're on your deathbed and it's your last day on earth and you had to share one Twitter sized message with the rest of humanity, summing up all of your life lessons, what would that advice be? I think it's that whatever makes you weird or different is actually your superpower. It takes like many years to figure this out, but you know, the things that separate you from other people are actually what you have to offer. Right. So I think that's one of like the biggest takeaways from my life so far. And that I think can help a lot of people. I love that. What, what makes you weird? What's your superpower? Um, I, I don't know like what made me weird. Like, you know, okay. Like as a kid, it was weird that like I loved money and I was doing door to door sales and none of my friends were into that. You know, and I like started a really profitable lemonade stand and I was really competitive about selling Girl Scout cookies. Like those things were kind of weird. And now it's like, oh no, you're just like an entrepreneur and you're meant to run a business and Mm. okay, you know, um, or just, you know, like sitting outside of the circle type of stuff where everybody's sitting inside the circle. I'm like, that's weird. I don't want to be like everybody, you know? And so figuring out, well, okay, what makes you weird in school or in life or, um, you know, and then that, like, there's so many hidden versions of it too. You know, like if you're, for me, I think one of the things that I'm weird about is that I can sit for hours and do focused work. And I was like that when I was a kid too, like my parents would be like, Mm. where's Allison? And they would come upstairs and I was still playing like the same game with my dolls for Mm -hmm. 10 hours at a time. And so I can still do that to this day. Like I can go into a room for 10 hours and work and not get tired. Um, and it's kind of like the only way I get things done. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can bat at half an hour chunks. And that's weird. You know, like a lot of people are like, wait, what? No, I just work two hours and take a break. And so, you know, that's like a little superpower. So, okay. Like that's how I have to work, you know? Yeah. I love that. I relate to that. I relate to what makes you weird. I think it makes me weird too. Kind of like the, the hybrid of being very entrepreneurial and, and also very community driven. Like we talked about earlier, a lot of people tend to fall into kind of one of those buckets. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like you and I both kind of straddle those two identities yeah. a lot more. And then that's why we're able to do this work that like other people are like think would just be easy to throw out there. And oh, no, it's mm-hmm. actually hard. It's harder than I thought. You know, you need people who this is their thing. Right. And so everybody has Look that thing. Look at us. Hey. Two peas in a pod. Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. And I love the advice because I think that's the foundation of community as well. Like you identify something that's unique to you. There's a very good chance that there's a lot of other people out there who, you know, are are also feeling like weird or like they're the only one and you have an opportunity to create that space for them. Yes, totally. That's exactly not only like is it your superpower, but if you're looking for well, what would the community I would start be like? it's probably something like that, you know, something that you've gone through or you relate to and feel like it makes you weird, but actually there's a huge, I mean, the world is gigantic. That's another thing people don't realize. So if you feel like you're the only one going through something, there's so many people going through it because there's an unimaginable amount of people in the world. hundred <laughs> percent. And if the community doesn't exist yet, then you should start it. Yeah. There's tons of space. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap up. Allison, thank you so much for joining me. Before we wrap up, where can go, people go to find you and continue to follow you? Uh, sure. For Tech Ladies, it's uh, HireTechLadies.com. Um, and you can join for free there. 
I'm at Tech Lady Allison pretty much on Instagram, Twitter, everything like that. So yeah, love to connect with people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And and just want to say how much how grateful I am to to have you in in this space, building community and someone that I know I've I've learned a ton from and you really are unique in, in the in the industry and, and you're a powerhouse. Like the way you built tech ladies up from the ground up and the way you speak about community and, and kind of how you've been able to monetize it and turn it into a sustainable business. There's just a lot of people who who will learn a lot from the example you've set and just grateful for you and for you taking the time to share all your wisdom with us today. Oh, thank you so much. And in, in going with what you said before, you know, I want to thank you for putting this out into the world and teaching people who are running communities or want to start new communities. Like this is an amazing resource and you've been the leader of this resource for a long time. So um, I'm so glad people are paying more attention to this now and will love like so exciting to see what kind of communities you're going to inspire people to build too. Oh, thank you. Me too. Yeah, great. It's going to be a wild next few years. <laughs> I'm excited to see it. All right. Thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMS, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.